from the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos pregame walkthrough brought to you by Something in the Water Brewing. Ben Grant joined as always by JB as we get you set for Toronto Argonauts' final game of the regular season. This one against the Ottawa Red Blacks in Ottawa. Before we get into the heart of our podcast, I want to tell you about something in the water brewing, a place that you should go to pre-game. You're going to the East Final. You don't know who it's going to be yet, Montreal-Hamilton, but you know, obviously, your Argos are playing. Drop by something in the water pre-game. You can try some Longboat Pale Ale, the beer made for fans of the Double Blue. You can try any of their award-winning beers, and it is just steps from BMO Field. It's also steps from Lamport Stadium, where the team practices, so that's an option for you as well. Liberty Village, something in the water brewing. If you haven't been there, you've got to check them out. We had a lot to get to today, JB. We've got contract extensions for Josh Haggerty, the DB, not the punter. We've got a contract extension for David Ungerer as well. A couple of new signings we can talk briefly about. Ralph Hawley and uh, Amani Dennis, uh, both uh, USFL guys that uh, have come up north. There's the CFL award nominations that came out today. Each team... Uh, nominating their uh, their award candidates. And so we'll go through those for the Toronto Argonauts. Some rumors as well about Corey Mace, Pete Costanza, two Argos coaches that are apparently in the mix for the Saskatchewan job. And we can talk about that a little bit. We talked about Coach Mace a bit last week. We can talk about Costanza a bit more today. And the upper deck on the east side of BMO has opened for ticket sales. All that, plus all our usual stuff, injuries, pregame, uh, or sorry, game preview, OCDC, one thing, predictions, put me down for 20, and our CFL picks. All that more coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. So two extensions. JB, let's get into those first. Josh Haggerty, David Unger. Let's talk about Josh Haggerty first. Uh, kind of a little uh, injury riddled this season. He had had some really bad luck. Got some very valuable playing time, though, as well. This is a pretty good move for the Argos, though, overall, right? Uh, it, it is. It's interesting. Um, I know they like him uh, a, a lot. Um, I think he's been a really productive uh, special teamer for them in the past. And you know, I, I think they they like his reliability. The fact that he, you know, he is he is dependable in terms of he does what you ask him to do. And sometimes, you know, as a coach, it's nice to have a guy like that. And uh, so it's nice he's he's earning himself a nice CFL career by um, being uh, efficient and uh, and productive. Yeah, he's an excellent special teamer, and I think he's got some playing time as well, and that will help. Like to be called upon. I don't think they're going into next season thinking, well, he's going to be a, a starter at safety. I don't think that's that's going to be the plan. But knowing that he has experience there, that he's been in some big games and also that he's an elite special teamer, he just has to he just has to be healthy. Like he started the season with a hand injury, uh, got banged up again. I think it was shoulder, which he's, he's um, been dealing with. So yeah, it just it couldn't have been worse for for luck for him. But uh, I think this is a, a nice move to bring him back. Yeah, they clearly like him a lot. Uh, he's obviously very coachable. Those are those are big things. Uh, what about David Ungerer? Uh, kind of, I, I think maybe one of the there's been, I don't know. There's so many so many pleasant surprises on this year's team. I didn't know what to expect about that signing. 
he's been, I think, as good as you possibly could have expected, um, given that it seemed like Hamilton had basically given up on him. And he's certainly got a new life in Toronto. Yeah, he's, you know, he's been sort of that kind of Wes Welker, Julian Edelman model. Um, Kelly has a nice chemistry with him. He's been a really nice outlet for for checkdown passes. He's got really steady hands. Uh, I think he, you know, I, I love that idea. Uh, it's not my idea, but certainly I, I think Mike Lombardi had at first the idea of, of building a wide receiver room, like a basketball team. And you want to have, you know, you want to have a center and a forward and a power forward and a point guard. And I think that he brings a different aspect to that wide receiver room. Um, and he's done it really well. He's, he's you know, he's, he, he is, you look at his, catch versus target rate he's been really dependable uh he finds spots in zones um that's a really nice compliment to some of the deeper longer play guys for sure and and he'll i love that he will go anywhere like he'll catch balls over the middle of the field they moved him in line him up as a tight end like it's uh you know anywhere that they they want to put him he's not typically the the tight end body but well he i mean he's the kind of guy that keeps drives going Right. He's not necessarily the guy who's going to, you know, score dagger touchdowns. But when you're, you know, second and five and you need that completion, it's it's really helpful to have a guy that you can depend on who can find a spot in the zone and and, you know, and convert the, the first down. I mean, you're that's not something that every wide receiver is built to do. Let's talk about these two new signings, and we'll just do that briefly because these are sort of future signings. These aren't guys that are going to come in and, and contribute this year. So Ralph Holly, Amani Dennis, both of them picked up from the, uh, well, most recently with the Philadelphia Stars. Uh, I think Amani Dennis intrigues me in a very different way from Ralph Holly. So with Amani Dennis, he he had some real playing time in Philadelphia. Two seasons there, uh, was was very much involved. He's also got some really interesting measurables that that jump out uh, at his pro day. He ran a four three six. That is um, eye opening. Um, six ninety five three cone. Um, he's not a huge guy at at five ten one seventy, but those speed measurables are are pretty interesting. Thirty four inch vertical as well. So you know he's a guy that there is some good tape on. I haven't watched film on either of these guys yet. That's in my plans. I'll do that in the off season, preparing for next year. These aren't this season guys, like I said, but those numbers alone I think are intriguing. Uh, Ralph Holly, I think one of the things I'm intrigued about with him I, again, sort of the size speed combo for he's a defensive lineman. Sorry, and if I didn't say that, Amani Dennis is is a DB. Uh, Ralph Holly is a defensive tackle, and he's sort of got that that. Uh, Brinkman sort of build, uh, six feet three hundred, and ran his forty under five seconds. So those are those are nice combinations that you've got there. I also like looking back at his college numbers. He improved pretty significantly every season. He just kept getting better, and to me, that speaks to, to someone that's very coachable. And if you've got that sort of really unusual size speed combo that isn't big enough to be an NFL guy, maybe you give him a shot up here and maybe he works out. And I think I think you're looking at Jared Brinkman and hoping that you get something like that uh, from uh, a guy like Ralph Hawley. Yeah, I, I think both seem um, to to have some... Like, neither, neither jumps out. I mean, I think when we saw Brinkman, we immediately felt really excited about that signing. So... I don't think it's that, but, um, you know, I, I like them 
constantly churning over and and looking for guys. I think it's been the secret sauce of the you know the 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 mega power team that they've built is is amongst the great free agent signings are these diamonds in the rough that they find and uh so i i love the even at this point in the season that they are still looking to churn for next year let's get into the cfl award nominations so this process is always really interesting. You kind of get to see what each team puts out in terms of most outstanding player, most outstanding defensive player, most outstanding Canadian, most outstanding lineman, special teams player, rookie. Um, and each team gets one, but only one nomination. And then these go forward to be voted on um, for league-wide awards. So the Argos mostly were unanimous. They, they were easier this season, I think, than, than in most seasons with maybe a couple categories where there might have been some discrepancy. So we'll go through those. Around the league, though, there weren't too many surprises. There were a couple, though. And JB, I want your thoughts on on a couple of these here. So one that stood out to me was, and I think maybe it's the most interesting one, is Winnipeg uh, nominating Brady Oliveira instead of Zach Kalaros for most outstanding player. Oliveira is having a, a historic season running the football but it's unusual to put forward your running back over your quarterback when your quarterback is leading in virtually every statistical category. So what do you make of uh, seeing Brady Oliveira as the MOP from Winnipeg as opposed to Zach Kolaris? Uh It feels like something Kolaris might have kind of signed off on or been been behind um, in terms of wanting to recognize um, Oliveira for, for everything he's done for the team this year and how how he's kind of taken that 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 jump forward um it, you know it, it's interesting because it's not true like at the end of the day if they don't have Claros, you know then they are not who they are but uh i like that he's being recognized and uh you know he he definitely has progressed every year and i i think it's probably uh good for their room to to kind of share the share the glory it's a very it seems like a very Mike O'Shea thing to do to nominate the running back yeah and it's it's you know it's it's coming from a it's also coming from uh football reporters of Canada votes as well as a vote from the head coach but that they combine to sort of I, I guess uh choose who they want but I think I think there's also you know we see this a lot in sports where it's almost like, well, we've we've done this already. This yeah, is there, new, there, though. There's fatigue for sure. I mean, I think there's fatigue for who wins the award. Definitely. I mean, I think there's fatigue for wanting a new player just because it makes you feel like you're doing something as opposed to, you know, well, we could have filled this ballot out in uh, in March. Right. Yeah. And I think there's there's something to that, and it's why LeBron James didn't win. Uh, the MVP every single season. Hey, that's or, why Steve Nash did. Well, yeah, not to knock Steve Nash, but it, it was an opportunity. It was something new. I, I don't deny that <laughs> yeah, that well, played into it. Yeah, not to go down, but I mean, obviously, Steve Nash would not be traded for Shaquille O'Neal. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't make that deal. <laughs> uh, let's get into the Argos players. So for most outstanding player, this one was unanimous and it, really easy. Chad Kelly. Chad Kelly is, to me, and I think to you as well, the league's most outstanding player. He is the best player on a historically good team. 
And not only is he the best player on a historically good team, he's the best player at the most important position on a historically good team and the most difficult position. And I think you weigh all those things together. You and own- it's. And it's his first year. I know. I know. That's the thing, too. It's his first year playing. Like the yeah one one start last year in the final game of the regular season. But yeah, that's it. It's it's amazing what he has done. And I, I wonder, like, I wonder if he's punished by it. Like, suppose, um, you know, like in an imaginary world, suppose, um, you know, Hamilton was really good. And they were chasing the Argos, and Hamilton had 13 wins. I think that changes the conversation if Kelly keeps winning games for Toronto. But because they're lapping guys, the wins and it just doesn't it doesn't resonate as much as as staying in front. And I, I think in some ways his argument is hurt by the lack of achievement by Montreal and Hamilton. Oh, for sure it is. Like they wrapped up their they wrapped up the division September fifteenth. Right. Like that, that and- he, he hasn't had a meaningful game and and not he's not putting up four hundred yards passing in meaningless games, because why would you do that? Yeah, so- if he's winning these games as he is and these games count, I think yeah, I mean I, I do think he's a bit of a victim of his success. And I think we've talked about this before, but you come back to the fact that he just doesn't have bad games. He doesn't have bad. Every other quarterback, Zach Laris has had a couple of really weird games for him. Vernon Adams has had a bunch of bad games. Chad Kelly does not have bad games. They, his worst game, you look at the stat line, you're like, oh, Kelly didn't play that well. And he was like 18 of 25 for 287, a touchdown and a pick. You're like, oh. Yeah, I guess he actually... hasn't had that many like off the chart games, right? Like the 375, three touchdown. Because you I, don't do that when you win by twenty. No, I know, I know, but I I do think that that also like factors a little into it. That traditionally, you look at like like he has you know like statistically he is good, but he has not lit the league on fire. But I would argue that it's because he just hasn't had to. Like their running game's been going. They just they didn't throw <laughs> the ball in the second I half. No, I understand, but that's, that's like a- saying I think the right. Tackle should be the most, <laughs> you know, I understand from a football point of view what you're arguing. I'm just saying that's not how you, that's not how one wins trophies. It's true. And that's, and I don't think he will win most outstanding uh, player. I don't think he'll win. I think he should. I don't think he will because I no. think people get very consumed by stats and they want to see 400 yard passing games from a quarterback and he just doesn't have a collection of those. So, and he's from um, the wrong city. Well, maybe some of that too. <laughs> So most outstanding defensive player. This one was really interesting and not unanimous. It was between two guys, Adarius Pickett, Wendy McManus. And uh, Adarius Pickett ends up being the pick. Wendy McManus, absolutely deserving, but Adarius Pickett, equally deserving. And in the minds of, of the collective voters, more so. And I, I think there's... I think there's a factor here too where Adarius Pickett was so valuable on special teams also had such especially early on. They took him an awful lot of those. Like we haven't we haven't seen Adarius play special teams uh since September for a good no. reason. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him back in there in these final because he was so good in those special teams roles and everything they put him in, he was a difference maker. Uh, I did feel he cooled off a little bit, but it's misleading because he cooled off in games that don't matter. And so that's kind of what you should do. Like, Wyndham McManus on the other hand got hot. Like, the last few weeks, Winton's been on fire. Uh, Adarius Pickett a little bit less so. But I think they'll both obviously ramp things up in uh, in the playoffs. 
surprised with the Darius Pickett? Is it the right pick in your mind? How do you view that one? Yeah, I mean, we we had debated that. I, I I think we were on it early, and I still agree that obviously McManus has been spectacular the last five games and is a is a you know a terrific choice. Uh, but I think Pickett um, was sort of asked to do more, um, multifaceted. Whether you know when people got hurt, um, he was asked to move around the field. I think that he brought an energy. And a speed and a, a variety to the defense that um, that really made him jump out. I think I think he's an excellent choice. As you know, I think we've both felt for the majority of the season. I think one argument for Pickett is that there's no one on the. And we talked about this when he was injured. There's no one on the team that can replace him. Not to the not the same way. Like obviously they put a guy in there, but it's not the same. Wendy McManus, just as good a player but they had other guys on the roster that could come in and it's not as huge a drop-off as it was with Pickett. So I do think that's one thing that that might tip the scales there for, for Darius Pickett. I think that's probably something the coaching staff realized when he went down and they're like, man, we, we can't lose this guy because you look around as to who can replace him and it's a pretty, it's a pretty short list. Anyone that you could bring in, you're going to suddenly create a giant hole elsewhere. So uh, that, yeah, I think that goes into it too. Uh, most outstanding Canadian, this one's Royce Mechie, and I was really happy to see him get the nod on that. Uh, a couple guys that you could have gone with, but Royce Mechie just having a, a terrific season. He's another guy that played multiple positions when he was called to. That was he was one of the guys that when when hey, we, we you know we watched the Argos lose both halfbacks. Royce Mechie is the one that moves around. Adarius Pickett goes down. Royce Mechie is the one that comes up. He went everywhere. He's played everywhere in the secondary, but but corner this season. And so for him, most outstanding Canadian, I think, is a really logical choice. You could have gone old lineman there, too. I think there's some good options there. But yeah, Royce Mechie is the right one for me. Yeah, absolutely. He's been uh, incredible, really. He's been kind of unsung, or not kind of, absolutely unsung. Um, but uh, uh, has allowed that that defense to to not completely fall apart when they're moving guys in and out. Um, you know, he's been a, he's been a, a load supporting pillar. No, absolutely. And I think you give him credit for like Mason Pierce has, has come in and been sensational the last few weeks. Mason Pierce is playing out of his mind. You got to give some credit to Royce Mechie there. Cause he's the guy next to him. He's the, he's running that secondary uh, from that safety spot. And so to have two different guys, Tavares McFadden, who's never really played that kind of role before and Mason Pierce on the other side of him. And both those guys are, are playing lights out football. Royce Mechie gets a lot of credit for that. So yeah, I was happy to see that. What's, what's interesting is, I don't think he's going to win the, I don't think he's going to get the East MVP nod at safety. I think, I think when you've got, because you've got Marc-Antoine Decois in Montreal, you've got uh, Stavros Katsantonis in Hamilton, both guys who have put up, I think, bigger highlights. I think Royce Mechie, to me, has been more valuable than either of those guys. But I think Decois, the stuff that Decois has done, some of the picks that he's made and some of the, some of the hits that he's yeah, made too. Yeah, I mean, pick, picks are the currency of the, you know, picks are the, the touchdowns for running backs and uh, you know, the sacks for defensive linemen. It's, <laughs> it's a totally uneven weighting of the value of something, but that's just how it is. Most outstanding offensive lineman was really tough as well, because you had a, a bunch of good candidates. And I think really you had four guys that 
that you're looking at here. And it's it's the guys that play most of the games, like from Ryan Hunter over to Dejan Allen. All four of those guys were outstanding all year long. So you've got Ryan Hunter, who from the moment he arrived in Toronto was fantastic. He changed the way that the Argos run game functioned. Uh, he was a very good uh, pass protector, just a great communicator and highly flexible too. could move to the tackle spot when he needed to and he did need to. Uh, was you know is technically able to play center to to be able to have a guy like that and oh he's also the tight end when they bring out heavy formation so a guy that can do a- anything you've got a uh, Sirocco at center who I think has had a really good season I think he probably won't get the recognition even after the fact even when we get to all-star nominations I, I don't think he's going to end up being the all-star center because he hasn't had the same like he's had such good guard play beside him that he hasn't had to do, he hasn't been asked the same the same things. Um, and so he's always got a clean sheet. He's playing great football, but the demands on him, I think, are less than someone that's got guards that are sieves on either side of them. And he's got the opposite situation where he's got two solid guards. Nicastro having an even better year than his rookie year, where he was an all-star and a finalist for, for rookie of the year, and he's playing better this season. So he could have been in this conversation and then uh, Dijon Allen, I think, is is the best offensive lineman. So I want you to give me your thought on on Hunter as a guard versus Dijon Allen, a tackle. And I'll give you my weighting on that and why I think Dijon Allen is the right choice. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've spoken about Hunter. I think he he is one of the primary reasons that the team went from a good team to a championship team and now continues to be a championship team. You know, I think he is spectacularly efficient and hard-nosed and just is a dream to be able to plug in and not have to worry about uh, you know like referees if you never hear an offensive lineman's name um the, the, you know the less you hear it the better they are and you almost never hear Ryan Hunter's name um you know rarely do TV broadcasts pick uh, really nice combo blocks or pickups um you know they tend to highlight blown plays um so i i think my my vote would have been right under it's just a personal appreciation um but there is a hierarchy <laughs> that one that apparently everybody in the cfl follows but you know usually teams teams recognize tackle as as the the elite position of the line and then the guard and then the center so to to some extent i think uh a top a top tackle is going to to trump uh, a top guard in you know to use kind of a poker analogy rather than a hierarchy. Um, so I, I I Alan is fantastic and you know I'm I'm fully behind it, but I do think there's probably a little bit of that that goes into it. At the end of the day, um, the tackle is 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 asked to do a little bit more uh, than the guard. I'm not sure you know how poker works, but um i'll, I'll continue <laughs> well, on i was you know I was, I was trying to get you know full house over you know three of a kind that kind of stuff i was right, trying I to uh, i'm trying to be less less hierarchical in in evaluating the two you know uh i, I was just speaking to how i think teams and, and often football people look at at offensive line positions no, yeah, no, that and that makes sense to me, and I and I do believe that. Like, it, it is much more difficult to find a tackle than it is to find a guard. Now, yeah. Hunter again, nothing against Ryan Hunter; he's fantastic. He is 
he's he is a difference maker like you said this line turned around for me alan is he so quietly goes about actually all these guys do though but so quietly goes about his job he to go from left tackle to right tackle and i think he's even better now as a right tackle which wasn't really his position he played all five spots in hawaii but he he was able to go from left to right, right to left. Um, it didn't matter to him. He's just one of those guys that can play both sides just as well. He's outstanding to me. And this is the only positional group that I grade after every game. I need to because I don't have I don't have stats for it. Also, my eye isn't typically as good at evaluating O-line on the fly as it is at some other positions that I think are easier for me. And so I grade offensive linemen after every game when I rewatch as best I can. And I had Allen slightly ahead of Hunter at the end of it. Both fantastic, but I had Allen slightly ahead. I also think it's I also think it is a slightly more important position. And so for me, I think that makes sense to give Allen the nod there. But again, nothing against Hunter. He's been great. And let's not forget about Nicastro because he's been phenomenal this season as well. Most outstanding special teams player. I feel sorry for Boris Beattie here because I think in any other Argos season, Boris Beattie wins this hands down as the sort of triple crown league leader at the moment, field goal percentage, punting distance, kickoff yardage. Boris Beattie has done everything except this was the year of Javon Leak. And he is the unanimous decision as the special teams, uh, most outstanding special teams player. This completely makes sense. But you do have to feel a little bit for Boris. But Leak is doing things that people just haven't done around here. Yeah, I mean, he's, uh, I, I, yeah, he has brought a return game that they did not have, and and it's why they've won so many games because they're now you know a three a three team um, franchise, right? Where you know really specials weren't that good last year. They were okay, but it wasn't a power of the team in terms of winning the Grey Cup. And now uh, specials are as good as the offense and defense, and you know teams scheme for leak and. He is uh, an unusual runner. He's not as twitchy as as returners often are, uh, but his second gear is spectacular. And he, you know, his biggest. I mean, the touchdowns are great, but his ability to get the team starting position um, has has really had a huge impact. I mean, I honestly, I mean, they basically start at the forty five every every time. And it's a combination of his returns and other teams being afraid. Yeah, like and, honestly, how many times can you think of the Argos starting on their own 10 or something? Well, I've actually got a stat that backs that up, and it's an amazing stat. Going into this game, and and I would love to see this this game's the the dicey one because who knows what it's going to look like, but going to the final game of the season, the Argos have had better starting field position than their opponent in every single game all season long. <laughs> and that's a, that's unheard right. of. Like I'm sure that has never happened in CFL history and NFL history. It just doesn't happen. And it's because they've got three phases that work so well. And special teams is a big part of that. Right. And they're just constantly starting at the 45 or the 50. Must be endlessly irritating for defensive coordinators. Well, it's also why Chad Kelly doesn't have 400-yard games. He can't. Right. His drives are 40 yards long. Yeah. Well, his his single passes are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the last category is most outstanding rookie. This is a unanimous one. This is so easy because uh, he doesn't play like a rookie despite being the youngest guy on the team. Quantas Stiggers, 
um, has done everything asked of him and more. And we saw it the, the first time we saw him back in Guelph. We knew there was something special here. I don't think, yeah, I don't think well, we knew the degree to which he was special, though. Well, I mean, for sure, because you're like, oh, you know, I was, you know, I just sort of felt like, oh, there's who's the NFL guy? Um, you know, he just, his athleticism and speed and physicality just absolutely jumped out at you. He just, you know, uh, even among elite professional athletes, you know, he, he is pretty spectacular. Um, so yeah, it's amazing to see he, you know, we, we had, you know, we sort of debated, was he going to start or not at the beginning of the season? And, uh, he's been probably their best defensive back. It's hard to say because I, I do think Jamal Peters has had, like, we forget about him. And I think it's one of those things you're talking about too before where yeah. we kind of and just, think, uh, we know not, he's, we know he's like, you know, consistently the guy and we kind of just sort of assume, oh, yeah, Jamal Peters. But we forget how great Jamal Peters is. He's fantastic. And I think teams are not targeting him. Right. Really. I think that that's an aspect too, for sure. Is if you get a lot of picks, a lot of time that drops off the table because now now you get circled and highlighted on the uh, on the plan. Let's get into our potential uh, head coaches that are on the Argo staff, uh, and there are a few of them, and I think probably even more than are being brought up this year down the road. But Pete Costanza has been thrown into the mix now. Uh, a couple of people talking about how. He is going to be a candidate for this Saskatchewan head coaching job. First of all, I want to say, like, you probably don't know as much about Coach Casanza as you do about some of the other some of the other Argos coaches, whether it's positional coaches or coordinators. Pete Costanza is a fantastic football coach. He's incredibly bright. He's won everywhere he's gone. He's got he's got five Grey Cup rings, which is again an amazing thing for a guy that's like just over fifty. He's got five Grey Cup rings. He won three in Calgary, went to Winnipeg, won there, came to Toronto, won here. Uh, he's just won wherever he's gone. He's been surrounded by great staffs, too. Imagine, like, during the that Saskatchewan... Uh, Saskatchewan. Um, that's, like, the opposite of what I'm thinking about right now. Um, Calgary's run, where they won uh, Grey Cup after Grey Cup. He's there for that, surrounded by that staff. And, of course, you've got a lot of that same staff in Toronto now, but great football minds goes to Winnipeg that's a great coaching staff too that he was a part of there and then comes to Toronto to be reunited with a bunch of guys and knowing how bright he is and how intelligent a football mind he is being surrounded by all of these guys that he's able to absorb from there's no doubt in my mind that that Pete Costanza will make a fantastic head coach I think he's got to be a long shot in this case because He's not coming from a coordinator role and jumping right up to it. It's it's not the same as being an OC and going up to it. Now, we saw Coach Dinwiddie make that jump. He went from quarterback's coach right into head coach. But I think Saskatchewan, just in the situation they're in, probably ends up going with something that seems less risky, even though I think he would be a great choice for head coach. Yeah, I think teams will always be driven to have an offensive uh, an offensive coach. I think that's the way the NFL is heading. I think to some extent also the CFL. Um, it's it's more exciting to sell. People want offense. I think the idea of bringing in somebody who can be a, you know, a quarterback whisperer or or so forth. I mean, look, I mean, I think you just look at Toronto. Uh, I think Dinwiddie in some ways hurts Coach Mace because 
offense is what people want and uh, you know want somebody to come in and kind of clean that up and then you know hire a coordinator to do defense um that seems to be that seems to be what people are leaning towards but i think that's um i i mean i th- look obviously pico stands has been amazing i i just think coach mace is is the total package yeah and i think i think probably i think you're right like you were talking about coach mace and um and why they might go a different direction why they might go offense I, I think this might be one of those situations where for Toronto it works out because I think they probably do hire an offensive guy in Saskatchewan and I think they probably go with someone that's that's a little bit more known because again it's Saskatchewan and right now those fans are are furious they want a big name they want someone to come in where they're like oh this guy's gonna come in and you've heard rumors about uh, about Henry Burris and and, and Kerry Joseph and and Maximic, who's gotten a lot of attention for for his really effective and flashy offense in BC, and I think Saskatchewan fans are like, yeah, yeah, we want that, and I don't think they necessarily see that when they when they think of Costanza. And so I think both of those guys uh, probably are on the Argos staff, which is great for the Argos next year. But those guys will both eventually get their shot. Um, because they're, they're too good not to. And I think that's that's the that's the reason they're probably not going to be here long. But I think Argos fans at least will get to enjoy them for another season. JB, Upper Deck tickets are now on sale uh, in the east side. Ticket sales have been going so well. The lower bowl is entirely sold out. And the upper bowl on the west side is entirely sold out. You can get tickets on the end zone, the north end zone, which they just opened a couple days ago. So those tickets are available and they now have opened up the east balcony, uh, which is awesome. They did this for the uh, the playoff game last year, but it was with only a couple days uh, left before the east final. We're a couple weeks away here. And so there's a chance that I, I don't know if I don't know if BMO's going to sell out. I would love it to. I encourage you to go buy tickets if you haven't yet. But it's going to get close. The fact that you're still you still haven't got into the rush of ticket sales from it being top of mind and from other teams bringing fans in too, and yet they're already having to open the upper deck. I think that's that's amazing. It speaks to the attention that's being paid to the Argos and how excited people are about this football team. Yeah, amazing. I mean, they have in the past, you know, had a better turnout at that final than than before. And I think that people have gone. I mean, people who went last year. Um, it was a terrific time. I think the city is excited about the game and are excited about the Grey Cup being in the GTA. So potentially you can do both games. I think that probably helps a little bit. Um, having Chad Kelly, I think, has helped. Uh, yeah, it, it 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 makes sense that uh, the people are excited for that final. Um, it's great to see. It's nice to see the uptick in attendance all year and that the final might be sold out because that place is, I've been there when it is sold out for soccer and it is like a Roman Coliseum. It is unbelievable when you have a a full house. So I think that would be amazing. I don't think maybe fans who have not been there for like a Canadian national game or, or TFC in their prime might not know the level of noise that can be generated when that place is packed. Uh, it's good. And also it keeps out Hamilton if in case they make it, if we can get that place blue. <laughs> yeah. And maybe not the uh, darker Montreal Alouette blue. Well, I don't think anybody's coming from Montreal. <laughs> that hasn't been my experience. 
let's get into the injury report. Uh, this is a pretty interesting one. So uh, there's some really good news for Argos fans as well. There's a lot of names to go through. I'm not going to go through every name because I don't think some of them are as relevant to this game this week. But I want to highlight some that are in the good news category, certainly. So uh, Dijon Allen practiced full yesterday and today. Uh, I don't expect him to go this week because why would you? Uh, it's possible they'll dress him just because he hasn't played in a few weeks. Maybe they want to get him a series or two. I wouldn't I wouldn't expect to see him out there, though, but it's great that he's able to practice full. He's back to full health. Uh, Boris Beattie practiced full after being a healthy scratch. Darius Bladek out there limited yesterday and today with that, uh, that ankle injury that he's still trying to come back from. Uh, and then... Uh, still a, a little bit concerning that you've got Maurice Carnell, Robertson Daniel, Curly Gittins Jr. None of them able to practice either yesterday or today. They're still uh, they're still out for now, and and that one is a little bit more alarming. We'll have to see how things go as we get back to as we get closer to the East final, like basically the week leading up to the East final. Obviously, if they're not practicing, then then I think we we know the answer here. But I think. Hope was always being held out that that they might be good to go and good to return. I'm not sure about that. So that's that's obviously not fitting in the good news category. I'm going out of order here. Andrew Harris practiced full today after not practicing yesterday. That is a big one. And he won't be brought back this week, I wouldn't think. I guess they could. But he he's practicing because this coming game is the last game on his six-game injured stint. And so he's allowed to practice this week. But if he played this weekend, it doesn't make sense to financially because it would mean that all six games of his salary would now count towards the cap. Uh, so I don't see that happening. But it's great that he's up and practicing. I would expect he will be a full go in the East Final. Uh, Chad Kelly, full practice yesterday and today. I know we we knew after the game everything was fine. Everyone said everything was fine. But to actually have him out full yesterday and today, I think, is good news. Um, Deontay Knight was full, um, Flora Malade full, uh, though both those guys healthy scratches last game. Uh, AJ Olette had a rest day. I don't expect him to play this week. Cam Phillips full uh, both yesterday and today. That is huge to get Cam Phillips back would be a, a real positive thing for, for the Argonauts because he was, when he was injured at the time that he was injured, he was the most targeted receiver on Toronto. And so to bring back a target like that, like they've been doing just fine without him, but he's a great receiver. And to put him back on the inside there to see him go full, um, he's a guy that I would like to get a little bit of uh, work in this week. I think, I don't think he's in the same week of the injuries. Now, maybe I'm wrong in that. I don't think he's on the same injury week as Harris. I think he could go this week, but I'm not 100%. I got to look that up. Um, but yeah, this is this is good news. The Argos are getting healthy at the right time. They've had weeks to recover for some of these guys. A couple other guys that are banged up, like Allen, like Kelly, uh, look to be okay. So yeah, all positives coming out of Toronto. For the Ottawa Red Blacks, um, I don't know exactly what we'll see from them this week either, but it's mostly good news for them. Uh, Crum was able to practice full. Uh, they were able to get... Uh, Lucas Cormier full, Justin Howell full, uh, Brandon Dandridge didn't, uh, Nigel Romick was full, uh, and then Dante Bull did not practice, and uh, Zach Pelios was limited the last two days. I don't expect him to play this week uh, with that. I think it's a concussion that he's recovering from. So that is the injury report, uh, and yeah, good news largely for the Toronto Argonauts. 
All right, let's get into this game preview, JB. Uh, the game that we've we've talked about this one, this situation for several weeks now, and they're finally here. They have a chance at 16-2. and two. We know that Chad Kelly is going to dress but not play. We know this is going to be a Cam Dukes-Brian Scott game. To me, that means most of the offense is going to get a rest where they can. I expect the defense to be largely the same, like rotating through guys that haven't had a break yet, but otherwise largely the starting defense. But I think that offense is going to have a lot of new pieces and new faces in there. How hard do they go after this 16-2 and record, or do they even want it at this point? Uh, I, I don't know how to read it. Uh I, I do think they want it. I think that's clear. I think that there is a part of them that wants it, that wants to try. Um, it would not surprise me if guys played the first half to see if they might be able to, you know, I mean, to basically see if Ottawa is going to roll over and maybe you can, you know, if you can go up a touchdown or two and kind of ride that to the end of the game and, uh, you know, hope that Ottawa is, uh, you know, three, two, one, Cancun. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that, um, I think that uh, is is possible. I, I do think that's possible. It would not surprise. In fact, it would surprise me more if they didn't do that. If they didn't, um, if they didn't roll starters out, because I know there's a push, and it's going to be hard for the coaching staff to completely ignore it, but. Um, also, the coaching staff know what worked last year and what had them ready for that Eastern final. So, I I do, I do think at the end of the day, you got to go with exactly what you did last year. I think I think that's the right move. Yeah, and this has been their their mo. Not even that, like the year before as well. That game two years ago against Edmonton, where they just didn't put anybody in, and then last year they again. This was the Chad Kelly game last year, a really exciting game, unlike the Edmonton one the year <laughs> before. Was. But last year was hugely exciting because you had yeah, Chad came in and he was just throwing throwing bullets all over the place and putting up jump balls. Remember, uh, Juwan Breskison's touchdown was still one of the most ridiculous touchdown catches we've seen. Uh, Dejan Brissett had a, a touchdown in that game too that was hugely exciting. Guys that hadn't had a lot of action all season suddenly were out there having fun, scoring points. And I don't know if you're going to get that same result because I, I don't think there's uh, necessarily a Chad Kelly coming off the bench here. But I, I think it's going to look a lot like that where most of these guys on offense are, are not going to be your regulars. Uh, and on the other side of the ball, Ottawa is playing for something in a way, but it's an individual thing. There's a lot of players like starters on that team that are now playing for jobs and playing for film and hoping to get picked up. It's not as easy to get picked up when you're coming from a four-win team as it is you know, for like, uh, you know, backups or starters on a winning team, a successful team, even if your contract is up. So those guys have something to play for. Those coaches too, they don't know the future and what's in store for them. So I expect a a full out effort from some of the guys. Yeah, uh, I think Ottawa plays hard. I don't think Ottawa has any interest in being there for Toronto setting a record as the most wins <laughs> in the season. That's true. Um, you know, I think Ottawa Ottawa will yeah, I would be I would be surprised if Ottawa rolled over. I think that they are going to um yeah, they're going to play that game to win. 
It's time for OCDC. OCDC is brought to you by the Business Barbershop and Spa. They invite you to experience Tobacco's premier licensed men's grooming lounge for hair, face, and body care, celebrating 10 years in the Kingsway. It's right next to Royal York Station, an easy walk from the subway. Go in, get your haircut, get a shave, try it. If you never had a barbershop shave, it's something that you've got to do. It's like nothing else, just to lie back there, totally relaxed, get the, um, the, the hot shaving cream on your face, and just be totally taken care of. Try that out. Get a haircut. Do the whole thing. Um, you, you won't regret it. It's an awesome experience. The business, barbershop, and spa in the Kingsway. All right, JB, I'm going to start off with the Ottawa Red Blacks on the offensive side of the ball. So for me, this is a little different this week because this is going to be an evaluation process kind of for both teams. And so uh, like I said, we know Chad Kelly's not not starting this game. He's going to dress but not play. On the other side of the ball, we don't really know what we're going to see out there. But I think they're still going to be evaluating most of their regular starters and trying to make decisions about who do we keep around here? Who still wants to play? And I think knowing that you're going to get a pretty base look from Toronto on both offense and defense... I think Ottawa's offense has got to go out there also with a base look. Let's see. Let's just go back to basics. No trickery, nothing special like that. Let's see who can run what. And so, and I think that's a good plan. I I would run that base offense. Balance your run and pass. Mix in the quick game with slower developing plays. Run through your play action. Attack every spot in the field. Get good film for evaluation purposes. For Ottawa, I don't know if they're trying to win this game or not. Like, I think they are trying to win this game. But I think the more important thing, if that coaching staff feels comfortable that they're coming back, and I don't know if they do or not, but I... I would imagine that uh, there are some nervous uh, coaches uh, in the Ottawa building, but I think you want to use this opportunity to properly evaluate because I think it's a team that really has to move on from a lot of guys. And I think this will be a good test. Who's going to play for me today when it when you're thinking about getting out of here, you're thinking about flying to Cancun or wherever it is, who's going to play for me today? And so you run your basic stuff and see who's in and who's not. What's your defensive plan for the Ottawa Red Blacks, JB? <laughs> well, um, no one no one has really been able to do it. So I, I guess you, you would probably come up with something um, exotic uh, as, as, you know, you literally have nothing to lose. Um, I think that obviously rushing the quarterback has not been something anybody has had any success with. Um, I, I, I do feel like there are opportunities to, to, to steal the ball. If you can keep a shell that is deep enough to contain those deep receivers. I mean, I think those deep passes are there. Um, they have shown some issues with cover one. Um, so I would, I would probably, um, mix in some more cover one and just a, a, a loaded box to, to try and keep any running game in check. I think, um, you know, quarterback wise, if Kelly's not in, um, everything's going to be underneath. So I think that you, you want to try and force the deep pass, um, and take away the check downs, take away the sideline throws, take away the easy passes to build confidence. I think you, you 10 yards and in is what you're looking to do here. You're all over that. And if, if a backup quarterback can hit 40 yard passes, then, you know, you tip your hat. 
but uh, I, I definitely am playing really tight man in that underneath stuff and and no no free passes you know because you have to make a quarterback earn earn the free underneath stuff and uh, until they do I would I would be all over it switching to the good guys uh this plan again it's different because it's going to be Cam Dukes and Brian Scott uh, I think the priority is anyone that you need to get a look at. So anyone that Coach Dinwiddie feels like either they're returning from injury or they haven't been involved a lot lately, you got to get them involved early and you're going to like forget about the game plan, but force the ball to those guys that you need to get looks. Aside from that, I really want to get a lot of pass protection reps for Adebayo. This is something that I think he still needs, he's, he's getting a lot better at it, but he hasn't been given anywhere near the opportunity, even even like, like per snap uh, wise uh, that AJ Olette has. And that's part of what makes AJ Olette such a good running back is that he is a good pass protector. And this is something that's really difficult to rep in practice the same way that you can get experience in a game. And so I want Adebayo hanging in the pocket on almost everything that Toronto runs to work that pass protection because that if he can get that down he's got all the other tools we've seen the other stuff we know what he can do pass protection is the only thing that i haven't really seen enough from him yet and so going to next season that's what this game is for for the argos is evaluating your guys for next year these especially the second third string guys see what Adebayo is like see how much he's taken in from aj olette and andrew harris uh, see what he's taken from the reps that he's gotten and really test him and hope that ottawa sends some some challenging things your way. They didn't leave him in a lot last week uh, in the Saskatchewan game. I think because again, you don't with your starting quarterback in there with Chad Kelly in there, you don't want to risk. Well, what if what if these blitzes don't get picked up? And so for the most part, he wasn't in there uh, pass protecting a little bit. But I really want to see that a lot this week. And you can evaluate your offensive line. You can evaluate your quarterbacks. Those are all important things for Toronto's offensive play. I don't care what they run in terms of the actual plays themselves, but run things that allow you to test the O-line, the backup O-linemen that are in there, the backup quarterbacks that are in there, and out of a boy's pass protection. What is your uh, your defensive plan for Toronto in, uh, in stopping... Uh, whatever they throw at the Argonauts, I, I don't um, know what that will be. Yeah, they 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 certainly. I mean, Crum has been better for them, but passing has not been a strong point for Ottawa this year. Uh, I I think that I would you know obviously it's, it's not that exciting. You're you're looking to be incredibly vanilla, uh, like the second exhibition game before your first regular season. You're gonna play really boring cover two shell i think you might play some man to to get a look and get some film on on some man looks and see you know see how much you see how much that can hold up so i would probably play more man defense than normal just to to get a look and get some film on um how feasible or reasonable it is as a as an alternative uh i wouldn't send any blitzes that are in any way interesting because who who needs to give away any of your plans you know uh i, I think you might you might send a few uh linebacker blitzes just because uh you haven't done that very often and you want to get you know you want to get some film on that but i think you're just trying to create some decent film on some areas that you would like to take a look at that you feel might do with a little polishing and this is a chance for you to get uh, some teach tape 
It's time for one thing. JB, my one thing is something I've been hoping for for weeks now. Javon Leak needs that fifth punt return touchdown to tie a CFL record. That is my one thing this week. This is a big demand, but it's been weeks since his fourth. He's had so many close calls, so many almost, so many one more arm tackle, and he's gone, and they haven't come true. This week, this is the one. That's my one thing. Javon <laughs> Leak, punt return touchdown. Play him, Coach Dinwiddie. you got to play Javon Leak. Let him go for the record this week. What's your one thing, JB? Um, you know, my one thing is I would like Toronto to score one touchdown more than Winnipeg and give up one touchdown less than Winnipeg. And I would love to see Toronto end the season with most points for and least points against. Yeah, that's a nice combo. And they're they're right there able to do it. And so this game, I think it's going to be a pretty low scoring game uh, just based on Based on, I'm kind of thinking more two years ago than last year. Last year was a bit of an exception for a game like this where there were points back and forth. Like Montreal, remember Montreal was on fire in that game. They they scored so many points. It was, a, it was Dominic Davis that was just throwing yeah. the ball all over the place. He was, yeah, he was playing amazing. Yeah, and so I, I don't know that it, that's that doesn't usually happen in these games. I think it's going to be far more low scoring, but it would be really cool for this Argos team, this historically good Argos team, to end up with most points for, fewest points against, for sure. Yeah, in, in some ways, I think that locks in their legacy more than, than winning the 16. Prediction time. Who wins? How does Ugh. it end? Well, I, I mean, I've picked against the Argos twice this year, and both times, due respect, they should have lost those games, and then they didn't. <laughs> Um, I am going to pick the Argos. I think that they will find a way to give it to the Red Blacks. They have shown it all season. I have no reason not to believe uh, that they won't find some way to, you know, get a safety rouge combo with four seconds left to win the game. <laughs> yeah, a combination safety rouge for the win. Uh, that would be yeah, like, yeah, safety. You know, safety followed by rouge. Oh, back to back. Yeah, yeah, that would be amazing. I w- I would love to see. <laughs> it just feels like <laughs> it just feels like there. You know, it is. Um, you know, um, it is. It is undeniable and uh, is coming with uh, and cannot be uh, cannot be argued with. They they just have this beat to them that uh, that great teams have so i i cannot pick against them again for me i've got something very similar or do you have a score for yours do you have a final score um yes i'm going to take the argos uh 28 and ottawa 17 and i think this is a much lower scoring game than that i think toronto wins too in a painful grinded out way that is just going to torture ottawa red black fans that show up for this last game of the season they've seen it before and i think they'll see it again and yeah i think it'll be as, uh, like not quite as painful as it was for saskatchewan last week when cameron dukes led the team down the field on that amazing drive for the the go-ahead touchdown but i think there'll be a little bit of that in there too i think toronto wins 13 10 i think it's a really Whoa, low a scoring sub, a sub 19 game yeah, uh, and that they actually I win. Know. I know, it's sub-19 games, they don't win. 2 and 45 or something? No. Yeah, this is one that breaks it. 13 <laughs> to 10 for uh, the Argonauts. Oof. 
JB, it is time for put me down for two and a half uh, <laughs> or 20 if you have it. Uh, this uh, put me mm-hmm. down for 20 is uh, it's a good thing we're near the end of the regular season here, JB, because I think I think loans are coming. But you might have a reprieve today because uh, there are no lines up. There's no anything up right now because uh, obviously sites are waiting to see the depth charts because these games don't mean anything. None of the three games this weekend are for anything at all. And so they want to wait and see, I guess, before posting you, any line. Do you know what you call three games that don't mean anything? <laughs> what? You call it a red black. <laughs> yeah. So we'll we'll see what... Uh... We'll see what this week looks like. But um, before we get into that, I just want to say that while gambling can be a fun way to enhance your sports viewing experience, it's important to do so responsibly. Set a budget, never bet more than you're happy to lose, an amount that you would view as a cost of entertainment. And if you or anyone you know uh, has a problem uh, gambling or develops a problem with gambling, you can call the Ontario Problem Gambling Helpline, one 330 So JB, it was, a, it was another rough week for you last week. You were now down to two and a half golden fleeces and i think we will i think we will give you a 20 golden fleece loan no, I, will, from, I, I will take my two and a half i think you're two and a half and i will take right. my two and a half and and build from the ashes all right that's fine you take your two and a half put it into a super parlay if you want to and uh and we'll we'll see what you come up with um, of course this will be the one that on some things this will be the one that wins because uh, that's murphy's law right when instead of betting 10 you suddenly lower your bet to two and a half and then you you win a ridiculous parlay um, I'm currently standing at 346, uh, having hit my Calgary plus 390 last week, which was huge. I know, um, I should have taken that juice. I don't know why I didn't. I should have. Well, you were the one that pointed it out to me. I and know. I'm like, oh, that's that's really good. I know that's that's pretty typical Stupid too. But British Columbia. So we will put out our bets on Twitter uh, once we, there are lines, but obviously we can't contribute to that right now. So this is going to end up being a, a very short segment. But yeah, look for that on Twitter for our Argos bet and our rest of the league bet. All right, it is time for our CFL picks. Uh, good week for me last week. I was 3-0. and uh, You were 1-2, and so I have reclaimed the lead, JB, by one game. Going into the last week of the regular season, I'm 51-27. You are 50-28. Uh, let's go through them. So Winnipeg at Calgary. Uh, this one I see being a Calgary win. And the reason I think that is that I think I feel like Calgary is going to be playing closer to what they uh, what they regularly put out there because I think they need to like these. I don't think they're going to treat this like a bye week, like a rest week. I think they're going to try and keep going what they had last week because they actually looked good in BC. They actually played well. I know the Lions didn't, but it wasn't like Calgary was just kind of going through the motions. They actually looked good. And I think knowing that coaching staff, I think they want to try and put that out there again. I don't think they want that to fall asleep. So I think Winnipeg's going to be resting everybody, and I think they're going to be kind of just going through the motions, not wanting to show anything at all. And I think Calgary pulls that one out. Uh, Winnipeg or Calgary, JB? Uh, I can take Winnipeg. Uh, I like. I think that um, Calgary is going to be a little more. I mean, it's interesting. Calgary's at home. I agree. I think all of your points are are legitimate. And the reality is, I just got to make up ground, so I'm not going <laughs> to pretend it's anything other than that. <laughs> all right. Hamilton at Montreal. Uh, this I have no idea what to do with this game. Again, the game between these two teams that know they're going to be playing each other next week in a in a playoff game. They're desperately trying not to show a thing, and I, I just kind of think about like 
whose backups are better. And I think it's Hamilton's. I think Hamilton's backups have had a lot of playing time. Like if you bring in, even like you're looking to bring in quarterbacks, you bring in uh, whoever you want. They've all had playing time this season. And so I think Hamilton actually might win this game handily, even though it's in Montreal. I I just think that their second string is more game ready than Montreal. So that's my call. Uh, I like Montreal at home. Obviously, I also like the the need to catch you, but uh, those two facts match up nicely. I like always, you know, like uh, there are certain facts that I agree with. Um, Edmonton um, should not be spoken about and Montreal at home. So we both have Toronto for the third game of the week. So it's yeah, it could come down to the Calgary Winnipeg and Montreal Hamilton meaningless games to decide it all. This is why this is why in fantasy they don't play in the last week of the season because of things like this but uh, here we are fighting it out in the last week of the season (laughs) well that will just about do it for us on this final pregame walkthrough episode of the regular season for jb this is ben grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones i'll see ya